I V M. Folks, welcome to Besa Besa. I'm your host Anupam Gupta, B50 on Twitter, and my guest today, Anthony Heredia. MD and CEO Mahindra Manulife Mutual Fund we are going to talk about active investing new entrants in mutual funds and much more right after this short break and welcome back Anthony welcome to Paisa Paisa thank you so much for doing this for our listeners yeah nice to have you here thank you Anupam it's a pleasure to be here mutual fund veteran tell us about Mahindra Manulife I assume I've got Manulife is it Manulife or what no, no it's Manulife Man- Manchester United Manulife oh it's that man no no it's not <laughs> I'm just they just had a kidding. game with Arsenal this Sunday and I was yeah. like you know I don't I'm an Arsenal fan so let's not go oh there. okay yeah. well you know you had a good record now till yeah <laughs> okay uh, tell us about Mahindra Manulife mutual yeah. fund Uh, everything you know history yeah, number of scheme sure. etc so we started in 2016 so just about 6 years old started as mahindra mutual fund and i think the focus was to take advantage of the mahindra brand uh, perhaps look at tier 2 3 cities in a far larger way we did something that i don't think anybody else has even to date which is used indian names for most of our funds in a hope that that has more acceptance somewhere down the line i think the realization that in order to kind of build scale to grow we needed to add some heft and expertise and manulife was a great partner to add they're very significant in asset management uh, a lot of people know them as a global insurance major but they manage i think over 900 billion us in uh, aum on the investing side so the partnership got inked in 2019-20 and that's actually helped us to probably take the business to another level at one uh, way of looking at it which is that we had a lot more investment resources we had a lot more sales people so on so forth but i think where the transitions really helped is you know most new players start off you know 6 years into their journey managing mostly liquid fixed income money and hopefully aspire to one day managing equity we're today about 9500 crores of which 7500 is equity it's a billion dollars trade away yeah. yeah we manage some other money offshore as well uh, 19 schemes which is a hell of a lot when you think about just 6 years uh, and 30 of them are you know equity hybrid stuff like that so very interesting journey so far and gives us a lot of hope that we can you know make it big over time yeah yeah i'm sure you would have leverage of the mahindra brand name because in yes. tier 2 tier 3 agri especially the tractors and all but i mean the, the mahindra brand name is well known all across india yes but i think in the last year and a half our ambitions have altered a bit in the sense that i think we believe there's a huge opportunity to make a dent per se so we don't want to kind of uh, typecast ourselves as focusing primarily on rural semi urban we're saying our market share is 25 basis points when can we get to a percent and uh, effectively if that's one of the big objectives then you've got to attack the larger cities as well and it helps to have a brand like mahindra because it's a name that everybody right, resonates with uh, and actually if you look at the mahindra brand itself a lot of the recent successful launches and i, I know i'm kind of plugging my parent in a sense mm. have actually been urban successes right the xuv 700 the scorpio Oosh, those are blockbusters those are man. blockbusters yeah. right so that i think has some resonance for us as well 
itself because it's a brand therefore that in any case is known but has even more relevance in the markets that we want to make a dent in yeah so anthony what's the growth opportunity you see here right i mean 1% of the industry would, would be a nice large number so there is so how do you see growth going forward for yourself in this market now so let me step back like some 25 years okay when i joined this industry as a management trainee you know as a management trainee you're tasked with making ppts that's your first <laughs> job and you know the standard first presentation to make a business case is you know how's this business in the us in developed markets and where are we and you know when will we get there and i remember you know for about 15 20 years i kept staring at the slide and said this needle never moves i mean we make the same slide and the same numbers pop up but i genuinely see that in the last 3 or 4 years this whole concept called financialization of savings is genuinely happening so for me one of the key reasons for growth frankly over the next decade or two for us or anybody else is the fact that for our industry i think that journey just started so if this financialization of savings just eventually takes its own kind of growth path the macro opportunity for us is set yeah. right as an industry then comes to the point of how do you kind of become relevant and when we talked about the 1% i mean i think it's it's actually a very it's not even an aspiration i mean it's, if anybody comes in and says i want to set up a business because i want to get a 1% market share the answer would be why would you want to do that it's just that in our industry's context you know Five years from now, the industry is fifty lakh crores, and I said this to my team, and they said, "You know, only one percent." I said, "Just remember, fifty lakh crores into one percent is fifty thousand. We're at ten, so that's five x in five years." And they said, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. very stiff." So I think the fact that the industry will keep growing at a fifteen twenty percent CAGR is done. I think. because of the regulator and a lot of people don't see it that way but i certainly see it i think they very rarely do you have a regulator that actually plays for the smaller guys right so in terms of expense ratios that we have to and the commercials therefore that we can work with distribution on they are i would say very competitive versus the larger entrenched players and i believe that in a market where you know sometimes nimbleness pays and i think we are currently for sure in equity markets where things are changing virtually every fortnight the ability to have fund sizes that are appropriate optimal therefore deliver performance and i think in the last 3 or 4 years given the kind of huge information dissemination that's happened the awareness i my belief is as long as we produce investment performance that's reasonably first class investors will find us even if we don't find them yeah. and yeah. to me that's what the growth path will be opportunity let's look at distribution because I mean, you know, the mutual fund industry has seen a very interesting trajectory. It started off with the PSU players back in, I think, the 60s, and then you had the private players coming in. Then for a long time, nobody really came in. Now, I think SEBI has given approval to a few new people. What is your distribution support like, and how do new players really survive or take off in this market? Given that now we know the opportunity. So we've, to some degree, our distribution success, if I was to call it that, has been actually quite unusual, and I'll tell you why. So historically, the belief has always been that banks dominate the distribution landscape, and therefore, if you have in-house distribution or you have a bank within your parent, uh, it just makes life easier. And obviously, we don't have that. But I think in the last three or four years, there's been that. I mean, there's always existed. You know, the erstwhile UTI LIC agent, eventually IFA, then MFD. I don't think people understand the relevance and the scale at which some of these MFDs are now becoming massive players in the industry. I mean, without getting into specific names, I can say that within the top three or four players, some of whom are listed, so this information is available within equity and hybrid, which is you know the core of 
in the industry in a way. MFDs are like 40% of their AUM, 25 years down their journey. Wow. So if you contrast it to us, therefore, 90% of the money we've raised in the last six years have come from MFDs. And that, I think, is only poised to grow. Because even within that, uh, we are probably at a 1-2% market share of some of those MFDs. So we write a check out to like 9,000 MFDs every month, mm. which is you wouldn't expect 9,000 distribution partners to have faith with us so quickly. But I think that's again an evolution, right? Yeah. So distribution for us, yeah, I would love to have in-house distribution. I would love to have a bank partner. But I think in the next three or five years, that will happen. Okay, Anthony, now let's take a step back and look at the mutual fund industry as a whole, right? Because it's... SIPs are some 11,000 crores a month. I'm sure that when you started your career, like you said, 25 years ago, this number was exactly zero. Yeah. And now it's 11,000 crores a month. I think the number of folios for SIPs alone is upwards of five crores, maybe six crores yeah. probably. What's your view here? Because it looks like, you know, this is here to stay and probably grow. Do you think so? So, you know, if you look at the growth opportunity uh, and you look at it only in the context of financialization of savings and, you know, very economic jargon, the industry looks like a very rosy story. But if I have a difficulty with one thing is that if you actually looked at our existing customer base, I think you'll find a lot of 35-year-olds, 45-year-olds, 55-year-olds. The millennials, I think, are still yet to think about mutual funds at a very core level. And that's where I think SIP comes into play for the simple reason that I think the younger generation is far more aspirational than we ever were, right? Which therefore means that they need to create wealth quickly. They therefore are much more open to taking risk. It's anyway appropriate given their age. And to me, the one consumer product we have in the industry is the SIP. So I think over time, this number will grow actually faster than the rest of the industry. I think we also have to give a lot of credit to some degree to the regulator and AMFI to set up, you know, the pooling of the investor education funds, the setting up of mutual funds, SAIA. That is a project that will keep continuing, right? And it has SIP as a very fundamental part of its uh, project. So to me, 11, 12,000 crores is again just the beginning. Can SIPs become something that is not just equity, also fixed income? I'm not sure. But purely as a, you know, as a winner, especially for the millennials and the younger generation, I think it's a game changer. Messaging has worked. No? I mean, I remember when they first, I mean, the mutual fund say campaign started first with the IPL and then it was just mutual fund say, and I've seen in the last one year, given the market volatility, of course, I think they've changed the They've yeah. changed the messaging also a little yes. bit. Yeah, it, it has because I think the original objective was awareness and trust. And I remember 25 years ago when I took up my first job in the industry, I actually had some people call me and say, why did you join a mutual fund? And I think the industry's come a long way, but I don't think if you ask any average Joe on the street today, uh, do you think mutual funds are okay? The answer is going to be no. Right? And I think something like this campaign has played a very, very large part to say this is mainstream. And to my mind, over time, you know, you can then evolve it because you also know that, you know, look at the dot-com bust in 2000, you look at 2007-8. When you have situations and markets will always create these situations, you've had three, four years of the industry going nowhere because you've had so many bitter investors. So I think we've learned a lesson from that and we are using the mutual fund SAIA platform to educate people that it's not a one-way street, which you kind of think that people are kind of looking at, sometimes, especially when you look at the direct equity, the DMAT account numbers, you worry, 
right? Because we've been around for long enough to know that this is not a one-way street. Mm. So I think that's why some of the campaigning is becoming a little more circumspect to make sure people don't get carried away. Yeah. If we're going to take a small break. On the other side, we come to the real juice of this episode, outlook on the markets, passive, active and all of that. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Anthony, let's talk about this whole active versus passive debate, okay? Yeah. Because, so, I mean, we, I've had so many episodes on this. I just want your take on what's your view, active versus passive. So, I'm going to say that I think there's too much of obsession with by how much instead of focusing on how many, right? And I think one should never forget that active obviously has a higher charge, but it goes towards creating reach and therefore that many more people buy mutual funds and hopefully create wealth. Now, I would be very disturbed if the conversation just narrowed down to by what percentage basis point did you actually beat the market? To me, the focus should be how many more crore investors' lives did you change? And to that extent, I believe even if active, there's a lot of debate about underperformance, etc. If it's by 50 basis points or a percent, I think you've got to look at the larger good. That being said, there are still, I would say, at least more than 50% of active funds out there that have beaten the benchmark X year charges and done it over long periods of time. In a market like India, where the argument is that we are an economy that hopefully will become 5 trillion at some point, we will have new sectors, we'll have new opportunities, therefore it will be manifested through small caps, mid caps. I'm pretty convinced an active manager will have enough to play with and therefore deliver alpha over that. And as long as you keep doing that, uh, I think... Uh, there's a role. I also want to preface the point that within this whole debate that look at the percentage of passive now, I think we have to recognize that there are some large institutional flows within that. So if you actually strip that out and say the retail investor what percentage of his investments are happening in active funds versus passive? I still believe that number is 90-10. Oh, okay. And I would believe, uh, I mean, may look silly five years from now. I Five years from now, I think that number at best will be 75-25. That's not to say there's no role for passive, but as a principally active manager, I can speak for ourselves. We are very confident that we can add value in the active space over benchmark over the next five, 10 years. And if we do that, no reason for conceptually people to say no, no, but passive is better. Okay, Anthony, since you've got a presence across all categories, let's talk about the outlook, right? Yeah. Because a lot of our listeners um, have seen on the equity side, volatility has been there and um, bit tough to navigate. On the one hand, you hear about India's you know great growth opportunity. On the other hand, you've got the kind of volatility that's there. Fixed income is, honestly, we don't know because interest rates are on uh, the rise. Whether the top has happened, I have no idea. So let's talk about the outlook first in equities and then we'll go to debt. Yeah. So our house view is that we still have difficult times to see in equity. I think the valuations in the market don't perhaps reflect some of the challenges that do exist, right? Uh, does that mean that people should stop investing in equity? The answer is no. As All I think we are saying is that 
be very sure that your time frame is right. So if you've got a five year, seven year, 10 year time frame and you're under invested in equity or you have a financial goal that needs equity, by all means, go ahead. But if you're looking at it because the last one year or two years looks very good and you think that's going to happen because you're reading all the good news, I would context that to say that India is facing perhaps lesser difficulties than multiple other markets and opportunities. And that's what is you know, seeing the markets rebound even after it corrected one or two months ago. I would believe the next 12 to 18 months will be challenging, but I also know enough from 25 years in the market that anybody trying to hazard a guess on whether it will actually fall or not is, you know, basically trying to be a fortune teller. And that's not our business, right? So I just think that I'll make two points on outlook. I think the trying to over focus on should I do large cap, mid cap, small cap or start thinking about does this theme make sense? Does that theme make sense? I think is a waste of time. I think the focus should be on buying a standard flexi cap, multi cap product. Be very clear that there will be volatility. Be also very clear that it's actually in these volatile times that you make money over a 5-10 year time frame and then I think you should be okay. But I would clearly believe that there is volatility. There are two results basically point out. I think India has never done well fundamentally for a period of time if oil prices remain high. I think there is a belief that oil prices will eventually normalize because we perhaps may see a global recession. So that kind of loss in demand will bring oil prices down. If it doesn't, then I think our economy starts to get more challenged. Corporate earnings start to get more challenged. Flip side, we have the benefit that we have a lot of companies that benefit from global demand, right? Because they make stuff that uh, global consumers buy or whether it's IT services and stuff like that. It's one thing to say there'll be a global recession and another thing not to believe that that therefore impacts global demand. So I think you put those two into context, that's going to create volatility. And I would therefore summarize it by saying that the next 12 months invest in equity based on your EQ, not your IQ. Okay. Yeah. Fixed income. Slightly tricky part. All of us are looking at those great FD rates out there and wondering whether they should be in debt mutual funds and then, you know, this whole debate of FDs versus debt and stuff like that, mutual funds and stuff like that. You know, as part of the fund industry, sometimes you are always biased to say, no, 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 we have all the solutions. But, you know, to be fair to your, your audience, I have a fundamental tenet that when you have what you believe are close to the peak of rates, uh, especially if, let's say, you're a senior citizen or you're retired or you need to be conservative, you should lock in long-term fixed rates. Uh, I think there's no two ways about it. I think we have to be real. The industry has some interesting solutions now in terms of, you know, FMPs and target maturity funds. But frankly, because they have more passive like expense ratios, the reach is a debate. So I definitely believe that the strong FD rates, which will persist, I think, for another six to nine months, is something people should seriously think about locking in if you have to get fixed income to be a significant part of your portfolio, right? Outside of that, I also believe that for the savvy investor, I would say that absolutely conversely, I think there'll be a point at which a guilt fund also makes sense. Wow. Because, Because I think... There are two things, right? You you believe central banks will raise rates uh, for at least the next 6, 9, 12 months. They will. But if you actually look at market rates, they are well ahead of the curve. Uh, right, the in the actual market rates today are at least 200, 250 basis points higher than they were nine months ago. And I think we are almost, as we technically call it, 
uh, at the terminal rate. So at some point in time, I would believe, and, and just to give you an anecdote, mm. historically, and I'm going back 10, 15 years, when your three-year SIP in a guild fund is at an all-time low in terms of returns, it's always proven to be the most opportune time to buy guilds. So oh, I didn't realize that. Are we at that kind of it somewhere looks, there? Yeah, we are there. Okay. We are there. So... And, and normally with fixed income, actually, you know, you contrast it to equity. Equity, you're always in two minds, right? Should I invest? Should I not invest? There are 10 reasons. In fixed income, there is one thing I can say from experience. It's when there are thousand reasons not to invest because you think the world's about to end. They always turn out to be, in hindsight, the absolute right moment. I mean, mm-hmm. think 2014, current account deficit going out of whack. The 10-year hit 9%. Everybody was talking about 10%. That's right. Anybody who had the courage to do the right thing and invest, was looking at really decent double-digit returns for at least the next three to five years. I'm not suggesting that's where we are today. That's what history tells us. But I would believe that... Here, okay, let me summarize it for you on fixed income. I think guilt funds uh, within all our categories will provide superior returns to an FD over the next three to five years. But it will come with volatility and it is obviously not predictable. Within that construct, if I have an FD rate that is extremely attractive, especially when you compare it to one or two years ago, if I need fixed income uh, to be part of my life, the next six months is when I start locking into the three and five year FD. Nice. Okay. I want to wrap this episode up. Anthony is, let's, you know, I'm sure you get this question from a lot of your yeah. friends, family, social mm-hmm. circle. Let's just get it out of here mm-hmm. on this episode also. Should I invest in mutual funds? Uh, this is, you know, for people who are new to investing as a habit. And there are mixed messages everywhere. So first question, I mean, this is a question I get a lot. Yeah. First is, A, should I even invest in mutual funds or should I go into stocks? That's the first one. And second one is, what do I do within mutual funds? You know, should I just go for a simple 80-20 active passive or whatever, 60-40 yeah. equity debt? Just broad guidelines for our listeners to go back with. So I have a simple confession to make. I work in forget mutual funds. I work in capital markets. I've worked in capital markets for 26 years now, right? Even I buy only mutual funds because while I would believe I know more than the average person on investing directly in stocks and stuff, I also know that I don't have the time. So since I don't have the time and I don't have the ability to focus on my day job is actually doing that for my investors. I buy mutual funds. Now the question is, do the mutual funds in aggregate deliver to me what I would perhaps believe I would have done on my own? My answer, hand on heart, is actually yes. And I would therefore believe that's true for the vast majority of people. There is a small minority. Some of them are spoken of as folklore in terms of the wealth they have created. But I think for 99% of the people, at least as far as equity is concerned, I think a mutual fund, whether it is active or passive, is probably the best way to go over the next decade if you want to capture what you believe will be India's growth. Sure. I'm Like I said earlier, uh, to me, the debate is not active-passive. The debate is, are you invested in equity or not? Mm. Right. The second point is on fixed income. Like I said, I think it's a little more nuanced. I don't think the industry solutions are necessarily that friendly to the investor in terms of volatility, right? So you, and you also have the tax situation where you've got to wait for three years. So to that extent, I would say it's therefore going to be a combination of fixed deposits and funds. What type of fund should you buy? For me, while as an industry, we have created a vast majority of choices. I think if you buy three or four flexi-cap, multi-cap funds from three or four quality fund houses, you're good to go. Yeah. 
Imagine people, I you know, load up their portfolio with 10, 20, 30 schemes. I don't know who's, what, what they're thinking. So, no, you remember, I think it's about, what, 12, 14 years now. Huh. Uh, won't take the name, but a very storied international fund manager launched their first fund in India. And their tagline said, one fund that works like five. Honestly, that tagline was true. Huh. A flexi-cap fund that buys large-cap, mid-cap, and you have a fund manager who does that uh, with passion and conviction. That's what you need. You don't necessarily need to waste intellectual quotient debating whether this is the right time to do mid-cap or large-cap, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just the way it is. But of course, we need to market ourselves. We need to create new reasons for people to buy. But I would yeah. say for your for your audience, I think just buy five or six or four flexi multi-cap funds. Stick with it for five or ten years. That's more critical uh, than anything else. Imagine that, folks. Stick with it for the long term. That's the way to go. So with that, that is a wrap on this episode of Pesa Pesa. My guest, Anthony Heredia. MD and CEO Mahindra Manual Life Mutual Fund. Anthony, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this for us. Absolutely a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. And listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of Pesa Vesa. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yes, we're on YouTube where you can get all our video episodes. You can check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are IBM podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm your host, Anubha Mukta B50 on Twitter. Folks, thank you. Really, thank you so much for listening to Pesa Vesa. No material on the show should be considered as financial advice. The material on the show is for informational purposes only. Please consult a financial advisor before taking any investment decision.